Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Web3 Native Podcast. Today, we continue our multi-chain series with, of course, none other than Jose, uh, founder of Delphi Labs. Welcome, Jose. Thanks very much for having me. All right. And of course, I think in the multi-chain world, uh, Delphi has been one of the leading voices, I think, with the research piece around uh, why you picked Cosmos as the ecosystem and also leading some of the thinking around how to build cross-chain applications with things like Mars and the shared liquidity AMM. So we're going to go into a lot of those areas, but let's just kick off with uh, something a little bit more casual because actually I think we both just came from Cosmoverse a few weeks ago. And personally, I thought it was honestly one of the best events I've been to in Web3, right? The energy was so prominent. Uh, with like the announcement of Adam 2.0, with the new partnerships coming up, right? Like USDC Circle coming on, and uh, the vibes of like all the builders there. There were actually very few investors and a lot of people building stuff. So it felt like an early DevCon from Ethereum. I wonder, what do you think, Jose? Yeah, I had the same exact experience. I I had a really good time. I also loved Medi Medellin. I think it was. I think it's a beautiful city. Uh, the vibes of Cosmoverse were great. A lot of builders, like you said. Um, I think Cosmos has probably the lowest kind of uh, investor to builder like ratio. There's very few investors on Cosmos. Uh, th there's not like the, the sort of um, multi-coin equivalent of Solana or, or, or something like that. So yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a great, great event. Definitely. And of course, within the Cosmos uh, ecosystem, the name of the game is app chains, right? And they've been shouting about this for many years now. Uh, but before actually this summer or so, uh, the idea of app chains was totally unsexy. Everybody was buying into the whole like FAT protocol thesis. And so let's kick off with, with a bit of a big question, right? You know, is the FAT protocol thesis dead? Uh, are we looking at now FAT apps or tall apps? Uh, and are you completely bought into this or is it like both are going to exist? Um. Yeah, I think both are going to exist. It's certainly too early to to call the FAT protocol thesis dead. I think um, for most projects, launching on an existing L1 on, on a so-called FAT L1 or, or a monolithic L1 is still like almost a better prospect than than, than launching an app chain. Um, I think our thesis is that long term, um, for for kind of the reasons we outlined in our post, we can get into them here. App chains make more sense, right? Um, and they, they offer higher benefits. But right now, uh, clearly the FAT protocol thesis is winning, right? Adam has, I think, uh, or like Cosmos has something around 250 million in, in TVL, right? Which is a fraction of even like some single Ethereum L2s. So um, as much as, as sort of we're excited about the thesis and there's been some some positive news lately, it's still very early. Uh, and, and definitely it, it's it's sort of a high risk thesis, I would say. There's like a lot that, that needs to happen for it, for it to play out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's certainly, well, it's not yet a, a fully dominant thesis, right? So it does feel like it's quite an early time and it takes that high conviction or courage to then like stand behind this and then build products that are actually aligned with this thesis uh, in the ecosystem that's all about app chain. So I'm just curious about like the context. How did you guys actually build up that conviction? Was it 
was it kind of like you had a hypothesis and you kind of like tested it out as per the re whole research piece uh, or, or was it kind of like bottom up and, and you just saw all these signs and you just like integrated it together? Yeah, honestly, we, we went very uh, bottom up, I would say. So we, we started off after the, the Terra collapse pretty bearish on, on Cosmos. Mm. Um, we just saw it as sort of uh, not, you know, Tendermint wasn't that fast and, and wasn't that decentralized. Um, and there just wasn't that much liquidity anywhere, especially after the, the, the Terra collapse. It really drained the liquidity out of, out of Osmosis and, and, and others as well. So we, we, we started off bearish and then we kind of looked at everything else. So we spent literally two or three months um, with, with a full research team looking at everything from sort of more experimental early stage stuff like Fuel and, and also Sui and Aptos back then, um, as well as like all the existing Ethereum L2s and stuff like that. And as we went through and looked at everything, looked at everything, we ended up just getting more bullish Cosmos. Uh, we, we ended up kind of coming back to, uh, to, to, to Cosmos and getting more bullish. Um, I think like the, the way I kind of phrase the, the, the trade-off is when you launch on an existing L1, um, it's way easier, right? It's, it's way cheaper. Like you don't have to worry about bootstrapping a validator set. You don't have to worry about L1 engineering, uh, like figuring out what modules you want to put in and stuff. You, you don't have to worry about L1 economics. Uh, it's, it's way easier. You can just deploy on top. You don't need to bootstrap security because users pay for the security rather than the chain having to pay for security. Um, and, and, and it's way faster. Like you, all the infrastructure that's on that chain, like wallets, uh, RPCs, all of that, you, you can just leverage, right? So the, the trade-off is that, that if you launch on an existing chain, you have to accept all their uh, sort of, you inherit and have to accept like all their existing design decisions. So obviously consensus model, uh, the VM, like whatever they do with their mempool, everything you, you have to just inherit and, and, and sort of accept. Um, whereas launching your own chain is much more difficult, uh, and although it's going to get easier and easier, and that's sort of part of the thesis, uh, mm -hmm. but you have sort of full customization available, which I think is, is the primary advantage. You get to control your own block space if you so desire, right? You can make it permission to, to, to launch similar to osmosis and injective and stuff like that. Um, and you have sovereignty, right? Which means that you're not dependent on like on an ongoing basis. You're not dependent on the L1 making changes in order to to make changes so obviously there's there's like a three-year queue of like EIDs that, that various people want to implement and and getting that through is a very difficult process as as it should be by the way um and whereas if you have your own l1 you, you can kind of just implement that and also if you get hacked or something like that you can halt the chain right you can you can theoretically even revert to an earlier state if, if mm. you are the one that controls the, the the chain whereas ethereum at this point i don't think is going to fork for anyone you know uh the, the DAO hack was kind of a one-time thing I don't think it's going to fork for anyone. So like those are kind of kind of the trade-offs. And the way I see it is like the, the customization is, is, is the biggest benefit. Um, like being able to add uh, modules and sort of customize um, your, your, your chain logic to integrate certain things. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the, it, it really has to be like, because what, what we're seeing right now is that a lot of Cosmos chains end up looking fairly similar which I think is, is is sort of bearish for the thesis in a way, right? Mm. Because if you if, if all the dApps end up looking fairly similar, then um, the, the only benefit is, is kind of obviously the sovereignty and the having your own block space. But there are like L1s tackling that, right? There's, mm. there's and obviously they're much earlier stage than, than, than Cosmos, but you have like the, the supernets for Polygon and then the subnets for Avalanche. 
yep. um, and, and others doing doing similar things. So I, I think the customization is what is what really needs to play out, and and we're we're very bullish on that being uh, super important, and then kind of seeing more and more in that over over time. Like Osmosis's recent proposal with Skip to kind of internalize MEV, I think is a really good example of something. Mm. Um, like I think the the um, the injective validator secured bridge is, is another cool example. Mm. Um, I think Say is going to have a an order book at the L1, like with with, with batch auctions. I think couldn't be done with with smart contracts. So I think for us, it's like we, we want to see some real use cases for customizing your your chain that really can't be recreated with smart contracts and that can't be adopted by an existing L1. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think that's what really makes the thesis kind of come to come to life. Oh yeah, absolutely. And actually, even outside of Cosmos, right? Even if you look at Ethereum rollups, we already see some of like the experimentation going on, right? Like for example, using account abstraction as like the first class citizen of uh, accounts, right? Or let's see something like Gnosis Chain and using like XDAI as like payments or gas, things like that. So uh, if uh, apparently uh, it, we can already see some of that gaining benefits. And of course, in Cosmos, even more obvious, right? Like with the things that you mentioned uh, and it, with more extreme, for example, like Secret Network, where like everything is then like private by default. Yes. So uh, definitely see like the this like dichotomy starting out. Uh, I, I love to kind of just go into this gray fuzzy middle. And you mentioned one project, which is Say Network, right? And to me, Say Network falls into this interesting gray area because uh, it is neither like a monolithic chain that aims to be everything, nor is it like one uh, financial app, right? They want to like by the virtue of having an order book, they say that they can have like a sector specific chain where you can have like a cluster of like related apps. Uh, I do wonder what, what are your thoughts uh, on this, right? Because there seem to be quite a few kind of DeFi related ecosystems coming up, uh, a funky one like with like Verachain uh, and like some other, uh, say, more generalized smart contract chains that could pivot to become more uh, like DeFi focused or like some of the app chains like Osmosis or DUIDX that might open up to more DeFi applications as well and become like a cluster. Yeah, for sure. Um... I think I think it's really cool. So I, obviously, like the sharding idea has been around for, for ages, right? Just just sort of splitting up uh, block space so you can parallelize and, and, and process more more transactions. And like one big problem with sharding is always like how do you how do you define what's in each shard, right? And so Near has this has this committee. Obviously, each channel abandoned abandoned that. But I think Cosmos is, is kind of like this voluntary or like opt in sharding, right? Where you can choose to to sit. With another application on a, on a chain, and your decision to do that will basically be based on whether you benefit from being there or not, right? And so I think the main benefit there is, is composability, and that's also uh, another sort of the trade-offs. So I'd say like the, the main trade-offs of the app chain is it's harder and you lose synchronous composability, right? And I think um, synchronous composability is a little bit overrated. Like when you look at sort of what's happening on Solana and on on Ethereum, there's actually very few applications that touch each other's state. Right? There's very little uh, use being made of synchronous composability, other than, of course, DeFi. Right? DeFi is kind of built on synchronous composability because of yield farming, uh, rehypothecating, uh, liquidations, all this, this kind of stuff. So I think it makes a lot of sense for um, sort of app chains to bundle around DeFi because what doesn't make sense and for, for us never made sense is the idea of having DeFi split into apps, each of which is a chain. Right? So you have like a lending app chain and then like an amm app chain herps app chain and because what you have what it means that you have there is, is like um asynchronous composability between all those all those 
chains, which means having anything like cross margining becomes way harder and way slower, right? Um, you, you have to wait for uh, cross chain contract calls to do a liquidation, for example, or something like that. And so I think that the say injective osmosis that they're all going towards this, um, rather than being like a app chain, like an exchange chain or something like that, which is what osmosis was, was traditionally seen as, um, it is an exchange chain, but in the broadest sense, right? In the sense of Binance rather than uh, Uniswap. So it's like uh, when you go to Binance, you have you can do lending and borrowing, you can do staking, you can do spot trading, you can do leverage trading, you can do perps. You know they, they have they have the whole like launch pad, the whole gamut of what options is, is available to you. And I think in order for DeFi to compete, it needs to offer that as well. So the way I see it is like say injective osmosis. They're all taking slightly different paths to trying to become this this decentralized Binance, right? Mm. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I really like the. Uh, obviously, I'm a bit, we're big fans of Osmosis, but the, the the say approach I think is also super interesting and and, and injective is, is similar, where you have this on-chain order book with with the batch auctioning, which mm. um, should theoretically reduce MEV at least like within a single block. It should should be hard to do to do MEV, um, and you, you can do a lot of optimizations to the order book. You can do stuff like um, if you have an AMM, you can include the AMM orders into the order book at the at the chain level. Uh, you can do, I mean, eventually you'll be able to do the skip kind of stuff where you can integrate like uh, circular ARBs at the chain level. So LPs aren't leaking value to ARBs and that's going back to, I mean, you can decide who you give it to. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely bullish on that, on that approach of, of uh, bundling around like certain use cases. I think there'll be others, uh, but so far I think DeFi is going to be the, the, the biggest one. Um, mm. Like the, the one that makes the most sense to really bundle together. Well, yeah. yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. Uh, absolutely. And actually, even beyond DeFi, there's also like NFT, right? Like, I think you mentioned it in, actually in the in the Delphi piece as well, with like NFTs with Stargaze, like the validators can also run uh, IPFS pinning services, for example, right? And and then you kind of get like related services that come together. Uh, and so with DeFi yes. in a similar way, like Orderbook, you could also run some form of like prediction market slash Oracle uh, at the same time. You can run MEV solutions at the same time, like you said. So these cluster of services make sense for them to kind of live close together uh, in a hub, right? Or even if they were separate app chains, for them to have some sort of, some sort of mesh security uh, so that you can actually mm -hmm. achieve some form of synchronous uh, composability as well through something like an interchain scheduler. Interesting. Yeah, I actually haven't uh, haven't heard of that or looked into it. I've heard of mesh security, but I didn't know you could that that there was a way to getting synchronous composability between well, between chains with that. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, I I don't think that's that's necessarily the case. I think uh, in the Adam two point okay. paper, as you know, it's talked about like as a kind of a consumer and provider yeah. chain. Uh, but presumably, right, if uh, in the mesh security sense where both of you are both consumers and providers, there's no reason it can't work as well, right? Um, yeah, I'm not like, uh, I've spent a bit of time thinking about mesh security, but not, not a lot of time. Um, I have a few, like one concern I have with it is, uh, and again, I don't, I'm not sure I fully understand it. So it might be a off, off concern, but it's just that you have this centralization of, of validators, right? Because it only works if you have uh, the same, it, it works to the extent that you have similar validator sets across different chains. Right, so it's it's going to end up sort of prioritizing uh, more institutional validators that can afford to do many chains, mm. um, and then I don't know how the synchronous thing because you'd still have to observe state 
on the other chain, right? Before, so you'd have to wait for the other chain. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll speak to Sunny about it. It's, it's definitely super interesting. Mm. Um, I think it's also added another horse into this interchain security race, which is like another yeah. topic that uh, this this tough to figure out how it's gonna how it's gonna turn out, right? So you have, I think you, you have like four options now, or like four different options. You, you've got obviously spinning up your own validator set, which has its own set of trade-offs. Like you, you have to bootstrap that. You have to make sure it's secure enough. You have to maintain the validator set um, mm -hmm. and, and subsidize it as well. You can use interchain security. Well, you can't yet, but hopefully in January, you'll be able to use interchain security. Yep. Um, you're going to have mesh security eventually, right? Where you can you can make an alliance with with, a, with another chain. Uh, maybe alliance is the wrong word because the fourth one is, is actually, <clears throat> kind of mentioned it yesterday on the, on the Terra forums, like this alliance. Mm. Um, sort of one which again i haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it but the way i see it is you kind of have with with both mesh security and interchain security you, you have like both validator and economic security is shared mm. right because mm. basically you're you're it, it's almost like you i mean with with adam the adam validators validate your chain and the adam market cap secures your chain mm -hmm. right Whereas with with the one that Doe mentioned yesterday, the Alliance one, it's kind of just economic security, but not validator security, right? You can actually define uh, part of your inflation rewards to go to another liquid staking derivative token. So for instance, you know, on let's say on Mars Hub, we could have um, staked Luna or staked Dosmo. Some of the Mars rewards go to staked Luna or staked Dosmo that comes in and validates the chain. And so you're adding economic security in that case, but not um, validator security. So it's like a lot of... Uh, different options. And I think it's, I find it really difficult to, to understand like the trade-offs between them stage. So I think that'll be another post that we work on soon. Like, okay. You've decided to be an app chain. Mm. What security model yeah. should you choose? You know, yeah. and what's, what are the, what are the, what are the trade-offs between them? Cause it's tough. It's yeah. Yeah. At, at the risk of complicating it further, uh, might I throw in a kind of like a fifth model as well, uh, from like your own, from between like using somebody else's validators versus your own validators, which is the whole idea of like, like you said, just now having your own shard, right? So, uh, for example, Saga that is going to be secured by chain security as well. Uh, but they allow you to have like kind of your virtual chain, uh, they call it a chainlet within the Saga chain itself. So then you can already have some of the benefits of like customizing the, the user experience of like how the validators might look like, how the gas experience might look like uh, at the same time, not have to bootstrap completely your own security. So that also might be kind of a transition okay. step. Uh, on on Is Ethereum, that like, yeah, how, how does that work? What's the difference between a chainlet and a chain? Do you, do you, do you know? So the chainlet actually really enough functions a bit similar to how, uh, how interchain security is like as well. Right, like you have your own okay. validator set, but then you know you would then re uh, the, actually the Cosmos Hub validators would also uh, be your validators, right? So in this case, it's it's similar. Okay. So uh, all of the uh, sagas like validators would also be the validators of like uh, whatever chainlets they are virtualized on top of them. Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of like just a chain, right? Like it's a, a separate chain, but using the chain security. I don't know. I need to look into it for sure. There's, yeah, there's a lot yeah. of stuff going on. In, yes. In so uh, Rebecca from uh, the CEO of Saga actually came onto the multi-chain series pod as well. So we can check out that that episode. But yeah, exactly. There's the whole kind of like nice. a plethora of options. And I think outside of Cosmos as well, right? With with Ethereum, there's the idea of like uh, temporary rollups, right? Elastic scaling of rollups. So a team called Altlayer is building uh, like uh, pay on demand optimistic rollups where you can spin up with like a decentralized number of validators or sequencers 
and then indeed you just publish it back. Uh, or the idea of like uh, layer threes, right, where it's customized as well. So it, it seems now, you know, I feel even with the upcoming Delphi report, we almost need to take into account all of these options and everything in between. Yeah. Yeah, we, we definitely looked a lot at rollups. And obviously, we're, we're, I mean, super bullish rollups long term. I think our conclusion was there was a lot of, uh, it was very early for rollups, like sort of much earlier than I think a lot of people think. Um, at the time, Arbitrum didn't have like proofs, you know, it was, and, and obviously all the, all of them are running on, on, on one sequencer. So you're going to have to decentralize that. Um, and there's a bunch of points of, of centralization. And then obviously the ZKs are, are even earlier. Like I'd say yeah. ZKs are kind of maybe, maybe two years, uh, behind, uh, you know, optimistic rollups in terms of maturity of the tech and stuff with Starkware definitely kind of leading the charge there. And, and I think Polygon coming in as the, as the dark horse. But um, there was, yeah, there was some scary stuff that we kind of found re researching this stuff. And there's also very few people that understand the technology, like especially with ZK, uh, kind of bug bounties and stuff like that. There's there's like four people that can that understand those, you know, and then and then like a few people that can yeah, validate them. So I, I think for us, especially after the terror experience, uh, we wanted to make sure that we we like minimized like external kind of dependencies mm -hmm. so rollups is definitely something we're going to watch closely but it's it's earlier than that i'd say most people think right right and even the the optimistic rollups that seem to have already like significant traction in community uh they are still on like the guardrails of like the centralized you know sequencers right so even though say on yeah. on uh often like on op uh you could go for like the whole bedrock and uh, uh op craft kind yeah. of uh, layer three but still you're depending on like that that centralized piece that can be quite scary yeah does optimism have permissionless proving like proofs or does it even have proofs in production i the last time yeah, i, I checked it not yet <laughs> but uh might need to yeah. look at it again yeah yeah i mean that's a pretty big deal right like i don't know why uh you know I don't know if people are much harder on on, on uh, external L1 than they are on L2s, you know, for I guess obvious reasons. But uh, definitely, it's a it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have no doubt that uh, everyone's trying to make progress, though. But exactly like you said, uh, still mm. a lot of uh, work to be done. So, if I, if I now move to then like the, the application layer of then like. Uh, what now you've decided okay we're gonna we're gonna go with let's say this app chain or we're gonna go with some sort of hub uh and now i want to build a cross-chain app uh here i think we will also encounter a few kind of like frameworks to work with right uh we have like the the very like archetypal app chain like osmosis which is then what you call like the liquidity black hole or what i like to call like the aggregated approach right where you just bring all of the functions onto one chain uh, and then you have the, actually the Delphi approach, which now there are a few names, right? The outpost approach, the minimal hub approach, or, or sometimes called the distributed yeah. approach where you have like the same function, let's say AMM or like lending, but you, you break it down into like all of the other chains. Uh, so it lives a kind of like a localized way, uh, but with a coordinating hub. And, and I also like to think of a, a third type actually here. Uh, which is what I call like unbundled apps where, hey, maybe you can make use of liquidity here, uh, some private metadata there. You may make use of like identity yeah. or social or storage uh, from another chain as well. And like those different components are then orchestrated for one use case. Uh, 
Uh, I'm curious, like your yes. thoughts around these few archetypes and like why you guys went after this one, right? I think we talked a little bit about some of the trade-offs already around like synchronous, but yes, let's, let's go for the details. Yeah, no, it's a great, great framing. Um, I, I think so the unbundled apps, I think makes sense for, for a lot of different use cases where uh, synchronous composability and, and kind of speed isn't crucial. Right. And I think a lot of stuff will 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 live that way via cross-chain contract calls. Even some of DeFi, like if you just need, for example, if your chain is um, I don't know, like like wormhole chain or something like that, and you don't want to have DeFi on there, but you want to offer users like a budget swapping option, like where you can just swap, then the osmosis outpost model where it's like a cross-chain contract call, right? You you just send the asset from wormhole chain to osmosis, swap it, and then send it back. I think that makes sense. But for in, in our mind for um, sort of trying to create a really um, high level DeFi experience, which compares to a centralized exchange on, on the key dimensions of like speed and, and like liquidation, you know, not getting too wrecked on liquidations and, and execution, you really need um, synchronous composability and you, and you need to be in the same, I, I think the unbundled thesis doesn't work for that. So for us, um, we always believe that, that there would be synchronous, that, that synchronous composability was key for DeFi, and so if like um yeah so i guess that's the first point and then the 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 second point is um where do we want to launch right where, where where does where do these where should these protocols launch and i think um right now osmosis makes the most sense it's live it has has, has a lot of liquidity but there's other places that are they're exciting coming up like you mentioned injective and say and and, and stuff like that and ideally for instance something like mars Mars wants to be wherever there's demand for leverage, right? And any DeFi ecosystem that's interesting is going to create demand for leverage. And ideally, like Mars would would, would serve that. Um, and and the way to, to to think of that is like what what a bank does, right? Like uh, especially an old, old school bank. Although it's uh, obviously we don't like uh, comparing to, to to banks, but you have a bunch of bank branches all around the country serving the local like citizens of that area, right? Like. Um, you know, all, all around the country, you'll have different bank branches and people will go to that bank to, for credit and start accounts and, and stuff like that. But then you have like a headquarters um, somewhere where all the, the like administrative and kind of operations and like head office stuff lives, right? Mm. And you wouldn't go to the headquarters to try and get a loan, right? Or to, or to check your bank balance, um, you would go to a bank branch. And so I, I think that's a similar setup to, to, to like this hub and, and, and outpost model. It's you want to be able to serve anywhere that you think uh, there will be demand for your for your product or for your for your application, mm-hmm. um, but you want to have like a neutral hub that kind of governs all of that um, and that and that serves as um, that serves as the coordination layer, and and there are a lot of benefits to that, right? So, with with DeFi, for instance, there are um, liquidity network effects, right? There 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 are network effects to, to an application uh, that mm-hmm. has a lot of liquidity. There are also like some brand network effects. And so if you have this, this coordinating hub model, you can basically have a bunch of different outposts, a bunch of different branches. Um, and you can, you can move liquidity around them based on wherever there's the, the highest demand for, for, for that liquidity, right? So it's, for example, an AMM with like uh, an AMM that employs the SLAM model could have pools on different chains where someone can LP on one chain and effectively collect fees from all chains because the protocol automatically moves the liquidity around to wherever it believes there will be the highest uh, demand for that for that liquidity 
And similar with it with the money market, right? You could have outposts on a, on a bunch of different chains, move assets around based on like balancing utilization. So to make sure that that uh, that, that it goes wherever the highest demand for borrowing. And so that's kind of like the, the way I see it is you, you do want DeFi to be an integrated experience, but we don't know that there's going to just be one that wins. And so you want to be able to serve uh, all the different use cases, all the different chains that are that, that are trying this. And I think the hub and outpost model makes a lot of makes a lot of sense for that. So mm. I wouldn't say it's it's like a different model than the integrated one. It's just that like um, the integrated one, it, it's like with the hub and outpost, you, you can create integrated experiences in a bunch of different places, right? With one coordinating hub because like, um, for instance, the Mars outposts on on different chains will be completely separate outposts, right? They'll be they'll, they'll be an integrated experience in the, in themselves, integrated with all the local primitives of that chain. Mm-hmm. But then the hub will will collect the, the fees from that. It will handle staking and governance, and it will have this like coordinating liquidity function as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love the kind of like local bank branch analogy because then like I feel like I go there, it's a customized experience. They know this neighborhood, they know me, right? And they speak my language in a way because we're on exactly. the same chain and they can take out the cash and like give it to me right on the spot because it's like instant on the exactly. chain, right? Uh, so in, in a way, you're kind of like, you're bringing the cost of communication, you're, you're moving it away from the user and to that between the bank branch and the headquarters, right? Whereas like if you were doing the kind of like central liquidity hub model, you'd be like phoning up the headquarters all the time. And you know, like that cost of communication, That's exactly right? You, right yeah. You're paying for that, you're waiting for the call to be connected, right? They don't really speak your language. So uh yeah, there's more cost to the user, right? Here is it's a much more user friendly. Yeah, yeah, that that's exactly right. Um yeah. Yeah, and I think there might be other advantages to doing your own app chain rather than uh that's something we're still kind of elaborating like what are the like what's the advantage of your hub sitting as its own app chain versus your hub just sitting on osmosis or on uh you know whatever whatever other whatever other chain it could sit on and i mean obviously there's certainty you know you can you can make upgrades faster you can there's there's um like you can integrate interchain accounts if you need them and stuff like that you don't have to wait for that one to do it but uh, I think there might be other benefits as well, but we haven't sort of found them yet. We, we haven't, yeah, we've been kind of thinking through that still. I see. Yeah. Uh, if Could you talk this through some of the ideas around the choice of the hub, right? Exactly as you said. Uh, what are the considerations then, like when you think of the hub, right? Because what are the uh, properties that you need the most? Uh, because as I understand for both Slam and Mars, like what you really need is a very highly connected IBC hub, right? Where, because like you, yeah. ideally if it's already connected with IBC of all of these chains, like that's the best. Uh, and you also actually need to have some of the say advanced features of like interchain accounts, interchain queries. If this hub has already that figured out or cost optimized, uh, that will be even better as well, right? Like if they really built like the, the landlines, like you don't need to rebuild them with a new hub. Right. Uh, at, at the same time, you could also make use of some form of composability with things like on osmosis, or use that as a central, like uh, kind of like central bank liquidity hub, where you can like then move it around. So then uh, you have fewer kind of like settlements between your satellites, and you can have more settlements between the hub and the satellites. Um, I do wonder, like, what are what is current thinking after looking at all the options? Yeah. Um... It's a, it's a great question. I don't, um, we've done a lot of thinking on it, but I don't know that we have like 
uh, great conclusions to, 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 to draw from it. I think what you said is right. Like you, you want the hub to be uh, connected to, to as many chains as possible. Mm. You want it to integrate all the technology choices that you need, like interchain accounts and, and, and stuff like that early. Um, you want the hub to like never go down, right? And be, and be hard to attack because um, if you control the, the, the hub, then you can like the, the hub governs all the outposts through interchain accounts. So you, you can really call us on the outposts if you, if you can get control of the, of the hub. Mm. So um, you want it to be secure and, and, and sort of hard to attack. Um, you know, you, you, you want there to be ideally, like you want it to be some infrastructure. So people don't have to like think about another chain when they're staking to the hub and participating in governance and, and, and handling all of that. Um, there aren't any that we've found so far, like, Cosmos SDK level advantages to, to having your own hub, like mm -hmm. as in customization advantages, basically stuff that you can do that you wouldn't be able on, on an existing chain. Although I think there might be, and you, you preserve that flexibility, which is, which is kind of important. But um, yeah, I think as of right now, the idea, like I think the Mars contributors have decided to, to have their own hub with their own validator set because um, they, they sort of didn't want to be beholden to the, to the interchain security timeline, which is, has slipped a few, a few times. Mm. And so, uh, whereas for, for, for other projects who are contributing to like Astroport, they haven't made a decision yet. Right. They've, I think the approach there is like, there's four or like even five options that, that you mentioned mm. and the trade-offs between them are still unclear. And so for now, um, it doesn't make sense to, to make the decision to, to go to, a to your own hub because maybe something like Alliance makes more, makes more sense, or maybe something like mesh security makes more sense. And I don't think um, the trade-offs are clear in my mind yet. So I haven't kind of made a, made a decision there yet. All right. Yeah. And uh, well, it takes courage to then make these decisions because there's no precedent. Yeah. <laughs> nobody really knows. Even this type of like uh, cross-chain dev, like nobody's really kind of like done it in this way. So uh, we're really kind of like forging new ground and uh, we will be then the first examples. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think another like um, sort of advantage to the hub is the way I see it in the future, you're going to have these applications that are that are bigger than chains, right? I, I almost see like mm. the chains is becoming commoditized, you know, like mm. every, and, and you're, you're sort of seeing that already, like, mm. yeah, block space commoditization, you're, you're already seeing that to an extent with like a bunch of these chains, um, just offering the same sorts of features and, and narrowing in on the same kind of features. And so if you have commoditized block space and users interact with the, with this block space through this application layer, the application is actually uh, has the relationship with the user. And if, if you believe in like aggregation theory, right, then the, these applications will actually become bigger than any one chain, right? Because um, they'll serve users similar to how some corporations are bigger than countries that they operate in, right? They have they have sort of branches all over the world in, in, in a lot of different countries. And some of them are some some of them as a corporation are bigger than the, the country they that they operate in. Hmm. Um, and so I think it'll be similar with applications. And, and in that case, um, does it really make sense for you to have your headquarters in, in, in some country, right? Um, hmm. Obviously, you'd want to choose the, the biggest country, and you wouldn't want to choose, uh, you know, some some small country where they're incentivized to like, raid your, your headquarters, you know, hmm. to, 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 to like steal money from yours or, or take over your corporation. But does it not make sense to just have your own uh, country, right? Your your yeah. own country where you where you operate this this corporation from, and obviously there's no in the real world there's like scarce um, 
physical space, mm-hmm. but block space isn't, isn't scarce, right? So uh, that's kind of like a, a more high level, like metaphorical way of, of, of thinking about it. But I think um, it can make it can make sense. Hmm. Yeah, and well, a couple of ideas that, that popped up, I guess, like the whole startup nation states tie very well to the whole network state uh, idea that, that Balaji has been bringing on, right? If you have your own ideology. So uh, increasingly, it looks like that might be the case, right? That uh, the growth of network states kind of parallels the growth of like sovereign app chains where you're almost kind of like laying a stake to your own country uh, while having these like 100%. outposts uh, where like they buy up little pieces of land as, as Balaji has envisioned. Uh, if I may just and I think this, different yeah. chains will also like um, will also just to add to what you're saying. I think different chains will will sort of campaign and compete to try and win over uh, the biggest hubs, right? Mm. Because you become like the economic center. Like if because uh, fees on on this in this outpost and hub model, which I think is is going to be and and to be to be clear, like although this is something we uh, kind of pioneered in, in Cosmos, it's not like a new like Ave technically works like this right now, right? They have a they have a, basically a hub which sits mm-hmm. on on Ethereum, mm-hmm. and then the the fees from from Avalanche and from and from Phantom and from all their outposts flow up to the flow up to the hub, and governance happens on the hub. And they effectively also have like interchain accounts because you the 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 outposts their outposts are all governed from from the hub, um, mm-hmm. which is which is interesting. So and I think there will be a lot of um, competition from from different chains, especially startup chains, to kind of win over these big hubs because you you end up becoming an economic center, you get all the stakers, all the stakers that effectively become users of your chain, all the fees flow up to your chain. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like this, this idea of, you know, um, countries compete for uh, like companies to headquarter there, right? They offer like tax benefits, they offer mm-hmm. like hub space, they, 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 and, and I think there's gonna be the same thing with, with, with these chains. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sovereignty also has a cost in that you, you don't have the benefits of, of like, being bribed by you know one of these one of these chains that wants you to, to sit there. Mm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see this play out over the next few next few years. Oh, absolutely. And actually, even if they don't court the hub itself, even if like let's say a satellite or an outpost does not yet exist, even to for you to set one up and then connect to the headquarters can already be valuable, right? It's like you know if you're you're a country and you don't have McDonald's or Starbucks, you're like, oh damn, I wish McDonald's was here, <laughs> and then you were like almost incentivize yeah. franchise to be set up in that in that country. <clears throat> yeah. 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 Uh, if, if I may take this analogy a little bit further as well. Uh, so as we know, like, for example, with something like McDonald's, right, just for the sake of arguments, actually the menu in each country is slightly different. The pricing is slightly different, right? The staff speaks different language. Uh, and so by the same token, uh, for each of these outposts as well, like, right now we're almost assuming that they are going to be like the exact same environment, right? Same VM, yeah, uh, and same gas fees. It, it's not going to be, right? There's going to be some UTXO. Uh, some of them might be like private by default, right? Some of them uh, maybe don't yep. support smart contracts at all. So how are we going to like uh, support all this customization? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's the only way that you that you actually win with this model, right? Because otherwise you'll get impeded by a local, by a local AMM, right? Mm-hmm. Like the local McDonald's, right? There's different countries that have their own kind of version of, 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 of McDonald's mm-hmm. um, and, and that can win too. Uh, the advantages of of like the um, the hub model is that you benefit from the brand and liquidity network effects of the entire network. So yeah. if it's well designed, it should be a winning design, right? Because a local MM only has liquidity on that branch, whereas a, a global MM has like this global liquidity that if it can 
use it in the right way, it can like, as soon as we, as soon as it launches on a new chain, it instantly has liquidity there, even if no one on that chain deposits, right? Because it's just benefits from the entire network. Um, but I do think they should be custom, right? For instance, um, let's, let's the example of Mars and, 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 and Astropor, like as, mm. as kind of two examples that, I, that I've thought about more and understand better mm. with Mars. Um, obviously the assets that will be available on each chain will be different, right? There, there'll be different assets available on each chain. Um, also the strategies that are available will be different. There'll be different liquidity pools on each chain. There'll be different amounts of leverage available based on the speed of the chain and the liquidity on that chain. There will be different risk parameters. Um, for 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 like liquidations and stuff like that. Mm. There might even be different liquidation models. Um, if one chain has an order book and one doesn't, maybe the order book can be used for liquidations in 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 one case. Um, uh, and, and the UX might be different. Like in on 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 something like Osmosis, maybe Mars uh, is like you doing leveraged swaps, right? Because it's mm. an AMM. Whereas on something like uh, Injective, you could do leveraged like limit orders. Like you you could, you you're interacting with an order book instead. And then you have to account for your your limit orders in your in your credit account and stuff like that. So it's it's different. And, and the same thing with an AMM, right? Like, for instance, uh, if an AMM is launching on an order book chain, it probably makes sense to integrate with the order book, right? So mm. one one thing that um, I know the contributors have been researching is is the idea of um, like if you have an AMM curve, you can you can think of it as like a series of limit orders, right? Like the AMM is is basically offering to buy and sell this asset at various points on this curve, right? So if you choose a resolution, you could just have that listed as liquidity on the order book, which then means that your, your uh, AMM LPs are actually benefiting from, from like order book liquidity as well. I think these, these primitives will look, will have tailored to the, to the chain that they, that they launch on, mm. right? Mm. Um, otherwise they'll get outcompeted by, by like more agile local um, AMMs that, that, that succeed. Makes sense. Um, and I think they're, they're, the, the chains themselves will take different approaches to this, right? Some chains will, will want to attract the, the global, like, uh, with, with the brand leadership and stuff like that, the mm -hmm. global kind of AMM, whereas some chains want to have like to bootstrap their own domestic economies, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they, they might be like protectionist and, and kind of say, no, we don't, we don't, we don't want like the big, like uh, uh, cross chain AMM, we want our own mm -hmm. and we, we're going to actually incentivize like a good team to build that build our own this tailored to our to our use case mm. so yeah it's going to be interesting to see how this how this plays out yeah so this there's an interesting tension here right between like this uh uh hub that wants to like reach out everywhere and like the the need for like localization and customization uh, just thinking on a more like practical level how is it going to be done right because while the core product and the design of the core product uh is kind of centrally pushed down right like the the menu of uh of like the the core items on a McDonald's uh, restaurant, but then like the the customization almost needs to be kind of like bottom up and like governed and created locally, right? Even from a the basic engineering standpoint, unless it's between like an Evmos and a Juno, right? The different like uh, the VMs require like different engineers to create these products. So um, does it mean that we need to have like actually chain specific kind of committees or like teams to then like build and govern these uh, customized outposts? Um, it's, it's a good question. Uh, I think there are interesting governance models you can, you can employ with that. I think for now, um, the global governance model makes, makes sense, especially for, for something like a, a money market where, uh, the, the stakers in, in, in a well-designed sort of money market staking model, the stakers are underwriting like potential bad debt on the protocol. And so they need to make all decisions across all chains and they're incentivized to do so. And also like each chain actually adds 
risk, right? Because if you integrate with a chain and the chain then halts and prices move such that the AM, such that the money market incurs bad debt, um, the the stakers are actually on the hook for that. So they need to be very careful with with what chains they onboard and and and, and stuff like that. So I think opportunities will come in where the local where either local conditions are, are so different that the that the sort of um, incumbent can't go there, right? Which is also what we've seen with with uh, the existing multi-chain landscape, right? You have Aave uh, on, is, is sort of the dominant money market on every, every EVM chain, mm. but uh, the non-EVM chains have their own money markets, right? Lana has its own money market um, because because Aave couldn't couldn't move fast enough to, to, to go there. Mm. It would require a completely different engineering and, and, and code base. So I think we'll continue to, to kind of see that. Um, and over time, it's like whether local conditions are different enough that it, it sort of um, outweighs the benefits of brand and shared liquidity, as, as, as I see it. Mm, mm. So yeah. it's, it's going to be a competition. Yeah, some chains want the, the global primitive and some chains want to have their local one, right? Because mm. um, I think in, in general, the, the most used applications so far the most used applications on on a on a new chain. Actually, that's not true because Uniswap is, is sort of an exception to that. But in, in general, I'd say that the most used applications on any chain are native ones, hmm. right? Yeah. Um, like on, on Avalanche, it's 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 Trader Joe. Yeah. On on Arbitrum, it's like GMX. Yeah. Um, Polygon it's, it's Quick applications Swap. that are built for the conditions. Yeah, exactly. Polygon Quick Swap. So um, it ends up being stuff that's built for that chain and for the conditions on that chain. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. Right. Yeah. So actually, and, and the good part about this, this model, uh, in, as you outlined in the slam piece, actually, is that you also outlined the steps that you could take actually to convert an existing kind of multi-chain deployment that's just a copy paste of each and convert that into uh, the slam model where you have a hub to configure and you could still have some of the customizations and the benefits uh, of already being in on, on each chain and already sharing that branding right so uh in a way then like it's no longer just a separate implementation that will have like less liquidity and therefore like more il and all those things like that now with the shared liquidity but still having the brand trust then you can start to then compete more effectively uh with the native applications yeah yeah exactly that's it yeah. um like uh, uh for instance, if there's, let's say, like an Atom USDC slam pool, um, it, it basically acts as, as one pool, right? So once uh, a, a pool on a new chain gets integrated as like a, an Atom USDC slam, where it's sharing liquidity with all the other, all the other pools, um, the AMM will, will basically keep moving liquidity there as trading activity on that chain picks up. So um, if, if like, let's say the liquidity on the local AMM is 5 mil, but the liquidity on the, on the global kind of uh, slam pool is, is, is 100 mil, it could deploy up to 100 mil of that liquidity onto that chain, assuming that chain was generating all the demand for trading, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, it, and it's kind of like, it becomes a very cool, like an AMM becomes like a very cool idea as well, because it's like this global automated liquidity network that's just literally moving assets around to wherever it can generate the highest fees, right? And, and that's, that's kind of how I see AMMs, because I think um, and Cosmos really illustrates this. There's kind of a difference between a DEX and an AMM. You know, a, a DEX, I think, is going to evolve to become like an advanced settlement system that uses mm -hmm. either concentrated liquidity or an order book, but just allows people to be very expressive in how they want to 
how they want to provide liquidity and how they want to buy and trade, like buy and sell an asset. Whereas an AMM is providing an automated way to integrate with a settlement system. Mm. So it's providing like passive LP strategies because XYK is just like a strategy, right? It's like yeah. one, like extremely dumb. Uh, I, I don't mean that in a bad way, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I don't, I don't, yeah, very simple, like it's a uh, strategy that you can provide and there'll be more advanced ones. And, and I think that's like where the AMM niche fits in is providing really advanced, like passive liquidity provision strategies. Cause, cause Unity 3 is not a, I, I'd say it's a DEX now mm. rather than a, rather than an AMM in that it, mm. yeah. Right. Yeah. And so exactly. And then with the newer ones, like you said, having like these order books at the validator level, uh, also already make it more advanced and like richer features uh, and possibilities. Right. Uh, if I may now, yeah. I think approaching the R mark, I love to go to another aspect of, uh, of these like cross chain apps, which is then what kind of interoperability solution makes sense, right? Uh, so far, I think that we have been kind of defaulting to the idea of IBC, right? Like assuming that, you know, we're going to be Cosmos, we're going to use IBC and all the associated kind of like advanced versions, like uh, interchain accounts, interchain queries, uh, and so on. Now, um, how do you see this evolving as well, right? Because, uh, well, full transparency, of course, we are currently uh, partnering up with XLR to build like cross-chain dApps or, or accelerate a whole cohort of them. Uh, and, uh, well, that is, an, I guess, an alternative or complement to IBC because currently it's not connected to between EVM chains and the Cosmos ecosystem. So that's one way to then like bridge assets between them. Uh, and even within the EVM environments, there are teams that are already working on some form of like ZK IBC, right? Within Cosmos uh, and Polkadot, there's like composable finance also like uh, linking it to EVM or Ethereum. Uh, so are you also considering other options for interoperability or how are you considering the landscape today? Yeah, definitely considering uh, all, all options. Um, like there's a bit of a... Um, there's a bit of a belief in the Cosmos ecosystem that IBC is just like magic, like some some magic, like super secure bridge. And I think that the Binance exploit and like the Dragonberry patch kind of kind of showed that uh, it, it isn't right. It's like the and the, the the really good thing about IBC is that it's like economically very lightweight and very secure, and that you only need to trust the validators of the of of both chains that are, that are being linked up. And there's no like external set of validators, like for instance, the wormhole guardians or, or, mm. or whatever, or in the layer zero case, like the Oracle and the, the Oracle and, and the, the relayer, you just have to trust the two chains. And so economically it's very lightweight, but obviously none of the bridge hacks that happened so, so far have been economic hacks. They've all just been like signature scheme, uh, like, like technical hacks. So, um, we're like, I see is, is, is our favorite bridge for that reason. It's like economically very, very lightweight and very secure and ideally if it expands to 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 ethereum and others working on that we'll use that but um the, i think the, the 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 projects are like open to using any bridge that allows them to get to an ecosystem that they want to be in so if uh if the projects want to want to be on polygon for instance which is a a, a chain that uh that i'm very excited about then obviously yeah, they couldn't use ibc they'd have to use something else but that'll be a decision for 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 governance and for for uh yeah for for the stakers to take whether they because they incur additional risk right and and they're also adding additional risk to assuming there's like a slam model mm. then you're also adding additional risk to the to the actual LPs, right because if your pool is sharing liquidity across uh not just cosmos chains but 
but external chains and you're using different bridges, you're incurring all the risks of, of, of all the bridges that are being used in all the chains. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it, it adds it adds risk. So it needs to be thought about carefully. I see. So if, if you want to take on that risk, then perhaps the idea is then uh, might as well take on like one standard risk, which is then IBC. And we know that the way IBC is implemented across all the Cosmos chains is the same, uh, and therefore you're not taking additional ones. But the more types of bridges you're, you're bringing on, then the more types of risk then you're layering on to it. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. I see. Yeah. And, and that means that, uh, well, like you mentioned before, in Cosmos, it's still a fairly young ecosystem. There's not so not as much liquidity here and assets and activity compared to say Ethereum, right? Like clearly that's just like a behemoth in terms of activity and assets. So I think the, I mean that's part of the reason why like, XLR and Osmosis are actually fairly popular because right there's a lot of activity from like coming from Ethereum uh, through XLR onto Osmosis. Well, if we're gonna purely rely on IBC, uh, does that mean that in the short to medium term, we're gonna basically miss out on all of the EVM activity then? Yeah, um, I think that's I think that's true. Um, yeah, right. until IBC goes goes EVM, it's gonna miss out on 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 that activity. Um, yeah, I see. Yeah, well, it's an unfortunate trade off, and hopefully, it's temporary because there are quite a few teams working on it. Right, I think with ZK IBC, uh, the, the ones I know of, like you know, Polymer, Succinct Labs, Electron. Have you looked at these options? Are there any promising candidates you like to like highlight that you're working with? Um, uh, we, we haven't looked at it too much yet. We've, we've, we've kind of looked at, uh, we, we really like the Axelar team. I think they're really smart and, and, uh, like we're a bridge that we, that we trust a lot. Obviously we, we like the, the, the wormhole team as well. Um, yeah, so we haven't like, I think that the focus for the, for, for labs right now is to kind of, um, work on getting, like helping the, the, the contributors get some version of, of the, of the dApps up on on uh on cosmos and then um kind of from there it's easier to to uh evaluate other options i think the community will have to evaluate other options whether they want to move to evm or whether cosmos picks up enough where it makes sense to, to kind of kind of stay on cosmos and what that looks like but yeah that's a whole whole other can of worms all right we're almost nearing the the hour mark here so uh, i'd love to then now start to wrap up uh, by bringing us back to the present moment, mindfulness, and think, okay, now uh, we are very early still, uh, but still we, we need to forge ahead and make some of these decisions. Uh, right now, what are some of the priorities and challenges that you're facing thinking about these cross-chain like uh, apps? And what are some like call to actions and what would you like to hear from the listeners, be it like projects uh, building some types of solutions or ideas that you're looking for? Yeah. Um... So I think that DeFi is um, DeFi is, does not really create new value, right? It's it's it's, it's finance. Um, I, I think like the there are so DeFi is in my view sort of superior to to TradFi. It's it's going to be like uh, it's going to be more efficient just given how highly regulated like TradFi is and all the inefficiencies that, that we know of there. But it's also just like non-custodial, unstoppable, permissionless. So those are the, the two main advantages. But like like any financial system, it requires like actual economic activity for for the to, to thrive, right? And so I think even if um, Cosmos develops like a really um, a really advanced DeFi ecosystem, which I think it's it's well on its way to doing, 
uh, it still requires like actual projects and like user facing apps to, to bring users and, and real value uh, to, to, to the cosmos, which can then be kind of transacted on the on the DeFi rails. So it requires like an economy. And I think that there's not enough um, projects kind of building those real use cases on, on, on Cosmos yet. Mm -hmm. So we like, for instance, that's why I really like Saga. I really like uh, Argus Labs, people who are trying to bring, for example, games, Web3 Gaming is a sector that we're, that we're super bullish on. Mm -hmm. And so people that are trying to bring that to the Cosmos, I think it's, I think it's very important. Um, so I think there's like kind of two sides to that. The first is people focusing on, on business use cases and, and, and things that, that bring real users to, to Cosmos. And then the second one is uh, Cosmos itself. It needs to become easier to launch an app chain, to maintain an app chain and, and the infrastructure around it um, and, to, and to bootstrap like security there. Because right now it's it's like, it's difficult to build an app chain. Uh, it's difficult to, to maintain it, it's, it's expensive. So ideally it should become as easy as, as deploying a smart contract on an existing L1, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it should become that easy. And I think there's, there's people working on that. So it, it, it's gonna get there. And then, yeah, the, the, the second call is just for projects that, that want to come in and build cool stuff and to, to, to build it on Cosmos. Because I do think you need, like, um, I think blockchains are, uh, and someone I said this to me once, that it was really good, that blockchains are kind of nation states, you know, L1s are, are nation states. And you really need, like, um, domestic economy. You, you need, like, uh, you need to bootstrap your own economy. You can't rely on just uh, imports, right? And, and I think bridged assets are, are effectively like imports, you know, and if if the only things that people want to trade on Cosmos are assets that are bridged from Ethereum or, or Bitcoin or WBTC or something like that, then uh, it, I don't think I think it can succeed because it can still be a more efficient way to do it. But I really think the way it succeeds massively is to, to, to have its own internal economy with real projects. And that requires business development. It requires like easier tooling and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, I like to call that like kind of the digital economy, right? We need to build an economy around it, not just like the financial rails and a lot of focus right now on the financial yeah. rails and not enough kind of like actual assets and, and usage. So uh, hopefully the next wave of like the application builders will bring that in. Uh, I'd love to now just close with uh, some, I guess, inspirational message uh, from you, Jose. I know what keeps you going in this kind of tough bear market and like scary environment where so many things are uncertain. Uh, and, and what's the kind of future you'd like to see? Yeah, absolutely. It's a good, good, good way to end. I think this tech is like really important. Um, and I, I think like it's, it sort of disguises itself. Like I don't say it's freedom tech disguised as a get rich quick scheme. And I think most people never see past the, the disguise, you know, yeah. so even some people in the space kind of never end up seeing past the, the, the disguise. Um, and, and like speculation, we, we kind of, it gets a bad rap. And I think the crypto industry to its credit makes fun of itself better than anyone outside of it makes fun of it. Like, I think, I think we're very good at memeing ourselves and calling things Ponzi's and, and stuff like that, but that often sometimes hides like the real value of, of, of what we're doing here. And I think that's going to become even more important in like the world that we're quickly heading into. Um, and I, I don't want to go too macro or, or, or anything like that, but. I think the the thesis that, that Bitcoin and crypto started with is is sort of like orders of magnitude stronger today than it was in, in 2008, right? In, in, in a world where there's literally a war happening, um, there's like the US uh, sort of freezing Russian 
dollar deposits in in their bank you know that that that's that's something that every other country is now going to be thinking of when they when they hold dollars as their as their reserve currency right um and i think there's increasingly going to be more capital controls like it's already very hard to hard to get capital out of china for example seeing a lot of bitcoin flows there we've seen crypto be used in in ukraine by by both ukrainians and russians trying to flee russia actually who didn't have any other way to to to, to pay and so I think people are, are increasingly seeing that these like uh, the, the entire fin world financial system runs on IOUs, right? Controlled by centralized counterparties that can be squeezed by governments when times get tough. And when you most need your, your money is when is when times get tough. And that's when you, you kind of don't have access to it. And so I think all paths end up uh, leading to like bearer assets like gold and, 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 and crypto. And then crypto is just a far superior tech to, to gold, right? Because like you think a Bitcoin transaction is expensive, try like lugging over gold across the border, you know, in an armored truck with, with like people with weapons and stuff. So um, and, and obviously that that means the gold ends up trading on paper, which ends up being an IOU. So the way I see it, like the, the world is, is trending towards like this, this, um, this tech being really important. And once people realize the bearer assets are important, they're going to need to do stuff with them, like actually use them um, to. And that's where DeFi comes in. And then that's where like Web3 social comes in and, and giving people back ownership of their identities and having an identity that's not nation state owned. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think we're, we live in a world where, unfortunately, trust is is it, an, is it an, between countries is it an all time low. And I think trending downwards, I think like the peak of globalization is, is sort of behind us. And, and that means that um, we need to take back like uh, individual control and, and, and sovereignty sort of beyond nation states. And uh, I think that's what we're, we're building kind of gives you. And I think in like 10 years, we're going to be really glad that it exists. Like uh, within the next sort of five, 10 years, a lot of people are going to be very glad that uh, that a bunch of like nerds spent, you know, 10 years building out this crazy financial system and, and creating all sorts of weird schemes to, to bootstrap it. So, yeah, that's kind of the mission we uh, we try and keep in keep in mind across across all of it. Wow. What a way to end to freedom. <laughs> to freedom sir all right. all right thank you so much again jose this has been a fantastic session cheers man all right let's wrap up here thank you everyone for tuning in and we'll see you next time see you next time cheers everyone